We want to encourage you, our listeners, to also start a podcast if you'd like. We do our podcast through Anchor, and it has been amazing. It really streamlines the process as far as pushing out episodes. It pushes them to the major podcast platforms. It's how you're listening to this right now. And so it's also a great landing place for a general web page for our podcast. So if somebody wants more information, we can send it to them. So if you're interested in recording your own podcast, we encourage you to use Anchor. So make sure you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Logan, one of the co-hosts for the Better Events podcast. In this episode, you'll learn all about strategies to utilize when planning for your fundraising event and come away with tangible tips on how to get started. Mary and I tackle what different types of fundraisers you can do and if fundraisers are really the best way to raise money as a nonprofit. So stick around. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Welcome to the next episode of our Better Events Podcast. This week, we're going to be tackling fundraising event strategies for nonprofits. I'm Logan Clements. I'm a freelance event producer out of Seattle, Washington. I'm joined by Mary Davidson. A little more about me, I work as a virtual event producer now, but also an in-person one once in-person events are back. I love helping clients create fun and engaging events while also being doing them more efficiently. Normally, they are sporting events that I work at, but I also do work with nonprofits as well as corporations and universities and all different kinds of clients, but love anything and everything related to events, especially in the event production area. Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you, Logan. My name is Mary Davidson, and my business is EP Events, E as Events, P as in Purpose, and my focus is on fundraising events, although like Logan, that has looked like virtual events this year, and then Logan and I have also had the opportunity to partner on some fun events this year as well, but in short, I would say that fundraising events are my jam, and I am excited to be able to chat a little bit about that today. Yeah, and I'm excited to essentially interview Mary about this topic. I have some experience as well with um, fundraising and nonprofit clients, but I know, Mary, you have lived in this world, so I'm very excited to kind of get your key insights. You want to kind of share what are our big things that we're going to talk about today when it comes to fundraising? Yeah, definitely. So there's four things that we hope to cover today, and this is for, you know, if you're a nonprofit organization, a foundation, maybe a political fundraising group a board member, or an event planner. So lots of people, this episode is for you. So we are going to share uh, first, how to get started planning your fundraiser. Second, what kind of fundraising event to do. Third, strategies to implement during your event to maximize funds raised and hearts touched. And fourth, are fundraising events the best way to raise money? Awesome. Well, we can kind of kick off with tackling that first one, like what is the biggest challenge when it comes to fundraising events? And again, I think if you want to listen back to our episode two about your North Star and knowing your why, I think sometimes the biggest challenge with fundraising events is people get bogged down with all the shoulds of what they should be doing with their event or what a fundraiser, you know, everyone in their brain looks like. And that kind of will give them blinders to some of the cool and different ideas that you can do that there's not just one 
way to have a fundraising event. There's so many different ways and so many ways that might not even apply to what you want to do. So you don't want to get distracted with the ones that don't apply to your segment. But I think that's kind of the biggest challenge is getting stuck in the shoulds of what you've either done in the past as an organization or what you see other people doing. Mary, what do you think? What's your, what do you think the biggest challenge is? Yeah, well, I think that's a good one. Um, I was thinking through this and I think one of the biggest challenges is getting the attendees at your fundraising event to give. So to donate, Um, because you hope that your event is going to be engaging enough and your program is going to be impactful enough that it will influence your attendees to actually give at the event. But it's a challenge when you plan, you know, for your expenses and your revenue for the event. You do hope that people give, but you can't always guarantee it. Um, And so just a just a quick note on that to dive a little bit deeper. I I have heard um, some organizers in the past say that if an attendee for a fundraiser doesn't give, then they're kind of just like a seat in the chair for the event. And I think what they mean by this is that they're they're sort of an expectation with fundraising events that if you attend, that you donate live at the event. But I don't think I would necessarily call them just a seat in the chair because if nothing else, those people are becoming more educated about your organization, which alone is super important. And who knows also later on they they might just be waiting, kind of vetting your organization a little bit more. Maybe later on they'll make a gift when they're in that circumstance to be able to do so. Um, but you just, you'd never know. So um, you really have to nail down that purpose of your event, which is what we talked about in episode two, um, and implement some giving strategies as well for, for your specific event. But I would say that that is the, the greatest challenge that I see. Yeah, no, I'm sure in other other challenges will come up and throughout our discussion today but that those are definitely I feel like I'm with you that that's another one that people always want to know how to raise more money and that usually comes down to that during event impact they're going for well I'm thinking talking about that first point we kind of laid out in the beginning about how to even get started with planning your fundraiser I know I mentioned it with the biggest challenge about why I think that's so important is deciding your why for your fundraiser but then it's also talking about who who are you targeting with your fundraiser you know Mary to your point of like empty butts and seats or is it just a, a butt in a seat versus a donor? There are very different things you could do from an event perspective if you're targeting, you know, all your your big donors or if you're targeting, you know, just trying to get as many do- new donors as possible. You know, those could be two very different things. So understanding once you know your why, then really breaking down your who, who are you targeting? And you can have target multiple people for an event. But again, I can keep going back to that episode two was so helpful just to know that you might sometimes find conflict then trying to make too many people happy and you might need to just cater it to one person for this specific fundraising event and then create a whole nother one that is a little bit more targeted at that audience. Not saying you wouldn't get overlap of people wanting to go to the event, but it will help you be more efficient and hopefully solve that challenge, like you mentioned, of getting people to donate. Right. Yeah. And I want to echo what you said too about the who, um, because a lot of the thought process is figuring out if your event is going to be a friend raiser or a fundraiser, because there's value to each of those. Um, for example, a friend raiser, it gets your name out there. Um, your ROI might not be as good. Like for an example, I did an event that was classified as a friend raiser. It had a lot of people come. Our ROI was about 70%, which isn't amazing, but um, we really were able to get our mission out there. And the goal was friend raising and, and that's what happened. So I think there's value to that, deciding on which one you're going for. Um, of course, your budget, that should happen sooner than later. I think that's part of the beginning strategy, which once again also goes back to your why. Um, 
And then, of course, once you can nail down the date of your event so you can start working on your timeline, you can also start making sponsorship asks, which are so important for fundraisers. And so the sooner that you can do that, the better. You don't have to have everything hashed out, of course, but the sooner you have those, those key little bits of information, you can start making asks to sponsors and to speakers and get that firm down um, sooner than later, which then brings early engagements as well, save the dates and things like that. So it is kind of a lot of pre-work, but once you have those key points, it's really going to set you up for success as you plan the rest of your fundraiser. And Mary, I do want to jump in. Do you mind just laying out exactly what is a friendraiser versus what is a fundraiser? Um, just to set it for members of the audience, maybe you're like me, you haven't necessarily heard those terms thrown around and you're looking for something different, but want to know how to talk about it to your organization. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So a friendraiser is something where, well, think about any relationships that you have in your life. You, you want to build that relationship. And so a friendraiser is a way that you can build relationships with an audience. So maybe they are your donors, or maybe they're people who you would like to be your donors. Um, but it gives you an opportunity to make that connection in an event form, basically. So when you're planning that, because you might not be as familiar with who they are, you can't necessarily guarantee that you are going to raise a certain amount of money. That's hard to guarantee ever, but just because you're not familiar with them, it makes it a little more difficult. And so some people will focus on fundraisers because it builds it builds awareness for their organization. So that's mm. kind of the purpose of a fundraiser. It might not raise a lot of money, but it'll build awareness. The importance though, truly of that is like you you need to, it's like how, how you get business kind of, if you're not speaking specifically about nonprofits, but like if you're an event planner or contractor, freelancer, how do you get business? Um, it's, it's sort of similar, you know, you wanna get your name out there and that's basically what a fundraiser is. Um, and then a fundraiser is, you know, what most people do know, it's where you, you invite your donors, sometimes other people as well, but it, the true intent is really to raise money for your cause. It's a little more fundraising focused, I would say. So is it fun raising? It's fun. It's really raising. fun. I saw I saw a sign once that said nonprofits just want to have funds. F U N D S. I liked it. I felt like it was gosh. A good fun. Gosh, I feel like I, I want to throw up a better better events pun alert, but it's not a pun about better. It's a pun, <laughs> pun, pun about fundraising. <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna let that go. <laughs> Love it. Um, so yeah, let's kind of moving on. Just for like, what Mary from your experience, like, what kind of fundraiser should a nonprofit even be looking to do? We talked about the fundraiser and the fundraiser, but how would you break that down even more? Yeah, so there's, of course, different kinds. And so there could be like a gala, which is like an auction or a luncheon, a walkathon, a golf tournament. I'm trying to think of like the, the big things that are pretty common. Um, but or you could do something random. Like I've mentioned it before in some of our other episodes, but I like to call them boutique fundraisers. So they're just kind of totally unique. It's something new, doesn't fall under one of those categories. But the goal is still to raise money. Or raise friends. So, um, so yeah, that's what I would say. That those are the main different types that I would identify. But the best way to figure out which one you should do is to look at your audience, look at your donors. What types of events would they be likely to go to? Are they traditional? That means that they might enjoy like a gala more because that's a very traditional fundraiser. Or are they business professionals? If they are, then that means they might enjoy a luncheon better because it's during their lunch break. And that usually targets those business professionals. 
or maybe they're very family focused. And so they might like a walk-a-thon or something like that on a weekend. Um, but this same question applies to a lot of your event planning process. Like that's also how you can determine your price point. So, um, so really focusing in on who your donor is and who your audience is as well. I think tradition is important, especially because if your donors enjoy that experience, then it's valuable, but just please, please, please look at your ROI every year and ask yourself, does that make sense for you and your audience? Do you wanna grow your audience? Um, maybe you need to add something different or maybe you need to modify your event in some way. Yeah, and so, I'd like to yeah. just jump in on that of like how important it is to look at ROI, but I know there's other, you know, making sure you look at the data, but then I also do value like anecdotal feedback um, because I think it's so important ROI, sometimes it could be, you know, raising more money, but it could also mean being more efficient with your expenses. And that, mm -hmm. you know, those different examples you gave, Mary, have different costs associated with them and, you know, different ways that you might have to figure out how to cover just the expenses of just even doing the event. And so something I always like to also challenge nonprofit clients to look at is the anecdotal feedback they get. Like, what was the most memorable thing from attendees or what did they most enjoy? And starting to keep track and keep record of those, whether it's sending an actual survey via an email or you had a videographer there who got sound bites or even just listening and seeing what kind of feedback you have people coming. If you have a board, what are they buzzing about? Um, and that can really help you keeping track of that so that next year when you get back into that planning process, you're not like, oh yeah, what were people wondering about? Like doing a post-event report and putting that all the data in addition to the anecdotes in um, can be really helpful in helping you figure out, yeah, what worked, what could be improved. You keep with that format. I like... It, it was over here. I don't on the podcast. You can't see me, but I was like when Mary said people do things twenty years in a row. I'm like, oh gosh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> I'm shaking my fist over here um, just because I think a lot of people repeat what they do because in their minds it's worked and they haven't taken time to really like think through or reevaluate. Is it what our current donors love? Is it really effective to what we're doing right now? And so I think thinking about what kind of fundraiser and like being in current COVID times and having to do virtual, you know, a virtual fundraiser, I think has been a great stretch for a lot of nonprofits to try to figure out and just try it in ways that pre-COVID they would just not want to because it's an added cost and you don't know if it's going to work. And I, we've seen some really cool galas done online. We've even seen, like I would add to your list, Mary, also just like a, I don't know if you just say virtual event, but even just like a webinar of some form or like, you know, it's a panel discussion, but there's a donation element that you could donate to the organization that one of the speakers is from and the ability of these platforms that have come up that make it really easy to reach more donors. And again, coming back to your why, if this is actually a goal of yours, but I think that's another like tool to have in your fundraising tool belt to know that you could do some of these events virtually and not even have to worry about a physical space. Um, but you still would need all those details that you mentioned of date and who and all of that. Yeah, I love the idea that you said about doing a, you know, the the survey or just the other types of data that you can receive post-event. Um, something else that you can also do too is when you're trying to figure out what event to do like that year, you, there's your donors love to give you feedback. They support you for a reason. And so you might as well reach out to them and ask them what kind of events they would want to go to that year. There's absolutely no harm in that. And they will probably share with you, which that alone just like removes a lot of the questions because they'll tell you. Um, so that's really helpful as well. So I, I love that idea and I'm glad you brought it up. And um, just to end also on this point with a quick idea, I was chatting with a fellow fundraising professional. He's an executive director for a local organization. And he said, 
that he likes to look at events in a trilogy of three. And I thought that was interesting. He said, um, try an event for three years, the same event each year, because it takes some time to get people used to your event and work out some of the kinks as time goes on. So by year three, you're like really kicking it with that event. You know what you're doing. It's it's more solid now. Um, and so then when year four comes along, you can start wrapping the event up like with a bow. So that doesn't mean ending it necessarily, but modifying it. That's where you can start changing the theme or the venue or something that keeps it fresh, but it's an established event by then. So it can sustain any modifications that you do make. And that's not like set in stone or anything. I just thought that was an interesting perspective. And so I wanted to share it because I liked the idea. Oh, I love that. That's like super helpful, especially when you're thinking about, yeah, how, how long do you need to try something new for it to feel like it worked? And then, but then I do like the idea of them being able to put a bow on it. Cause I think something I just feel that certain certain kinds of fundraisers are definitely just like again and again and again and um, some are great, but also some are just you're doing it because that's what you you think you're supposed to be doing versus really thinking about your who and how you engage them. Um, yeah, moving on to a, kind of our third point that we wanted to make here was do, talking about strategies that you can implement during your event to maximize those funds raised. And Mary, I love it. Some good old hearts touched. Yes. That's really what it's all about. Um, and I know we touched on it uh, in our again, episode two about why, but one of the things of strategies to implement during your event. So I would, I'm interpreting this Mary as during could even be during your process of planning. Cause one of the big things is marketing and not necessarily there's marketing comes in so many different ways. Um, and more of what we're doing now, a marketer is really kind of like a content marketer. You're not just marketing the, like you should buy tickets, but you're really also marketing like the experience, the message back to that why and mixing it up and doing different things and not just having a standard like here's our save the date, come join our event and then you just keep sending out that same message, just like slightly reworded, really thinking through like what are these reasons of who you're targeting and this is where you can apply to multiple different people. You can send a different email to the people who came to your event last year than people that are just on your general listserv. You can incentivize with different things and start to like cater your message to your audience. And that's one that I've seen is very effective instead of trying to cater the event to too many different people, but you can cater the messaging around the event to different people. Just like maybe the people who were your donors last year, they loved the dessert dash and you're going to do a dessert dash again. You're going to play that up. What's the, who's the sponsor for this year's dessert dash? But to a new person, maybe you're playing up your why and your message and what speakers are going to be there to tell more about the reason that you're there. So I think that marketing, but thinking it less as like ticket sales and more as content marketing will really help you maximize your funds. Mary, what are your strategies you like to implement? Yeah, well, I love those, first of all. And I think there's there's so many different things that we can do. Um, I have I made a little list and I'm just going to like throw them out there really quick. And if we want to talk further about any specifically, we totally can. But so um, just some things I thought about ways to maximize funds raised. So you can have a good video. I, I do think there's a value in that that video that helps sets up your ask. Um, so my note for that, it would be to make sure you pay, like pay for it. it is worth the money. Now, maybe you have a, somebody in your circle who is really good at making those videos for you. And if so, that's great. And you're super lucky, but just don't be afraid to make that a line item on your budget because the video is, is just super important. Um, something else I would say is to keep your program concise. This is super true for virtual events, but also for in-person, just keep it short and sweet and prime the pump. So if it's an auction or you're making some type of specific ask dessert dashes, like Logan mentioned, those are super good ways, just little things you can do to 
get people excited to give basically um, little ways to, to engage them in the event. I yep. think on that with the virtual lens and you mentioned it earlier, but like how you can prime the pump weeks in advance now in the virtual world. And I think I'm hoping that's an element that will stick around even with in-person because it is a great way, like you can open your silent auction in the week or two weeks ahead of your event. And back to my earlier point about content marketing, you can then tease those items in your silent, in your content marketing, trying to get people to sign up for your event. It's also a great way to engage people who might not be able to attend like an in-person only event pre, you know, prior to COVID. I think people would be like, oh, I can't go, you know, maybe I'll donate, maybe I won't, but this is a way you could start to engage them. They could still donate on items and still be a part of the, some of the interaction that they probably love from your in-person event, even if they can't, can't make it. So thinking about whether you're doing an in, a virtual or even an in-person or a hybrid, like thinking about that you don't, there's no rule that says your silent auction can only be open during your event and how you can think strategically, whether it's, we had a client who, that Mary and I worked with that they dribbled them out little by little. So it was like a couple items and then they waited a couple of days and then it was another couple items. And it was really fun because they had people getting into bidding wars before the event had even started. So it was a great, you know, they're already talking about your event, which is what every event organizer dreams of. So I think that's definitely an easy way to, to help increase your funds the night of. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, with those auction items, whether it's virtual or in person or whatever, um, there's lots of items that you can create that are of no cost to you. And I'm not just talking about like board members going out and securing things, which is important, but also like think about your specific organization and things that are unique to you. So that might be like a privately catered dinner at your farm, you know, or something that's just, it, it isn't going to cost you anything because you can get that piece donated if that makes sense but it's on your location and so anything that you can use whether you have a physical location or if it like really surrounds your mission really dive deep down into those experiences those experience auction items because those are what are going to bring the money in definitely because they're closer to your mission yeah and pro tip with experiences because we are living in a pandemic world or post hopefully we're in a post pandemic world maybe when <laughs> you're listening yeah. to this um having expiration dates on some of those things i know in previous years that's been something like we've always looked out for as organizers of what's the expiration date on the experience or the ticket or something and that's a trend since with covid that a lot of people have either been making them open-ended or extending it for several years instead of just a year and i think that's a trend that will continue so if you're an organizer whether you're creating these experiences like mary said that's a fabulous idea but also if you're procuring them from places just really paying attention to that because we you know we don't know what the world's going to look like as we open back up but that'll definitely increase the power of these experiences because Mary, I would kill for a privately catered dinner on a farm right now. Like, I, well, I would love that. That would be right. great. <laughs> Maybe because we haven't seen that many people that often. But like, yeah. I think those kind of things are really still going to be your big ticket items when you're doing fundraising, whether it's virtually or back in person again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And just a few more quick items. So get sponsorship. I feel like that speaks for itself. But that's really going to help set your event up for success beforehand. Um, secure gifts beforehand. So talk to some of your donors who you know are probably going to give at the event and just invite them ahead of time to actually do it at the event. Um, that will entice other people to give as well, but it'll also give you peace of mind because you're setting yourself up for success and you're asking that of your donors who you have a really close relationship with. And so it's not going to come as a surprise to them. It's just going to um, kind of secure that. So another thing that you can do along those same lines is set up a match. That could be the sponsor or a donor or maybe like an outside third party. But if you set that match up beforehand, 
and you talk about it during the event or even before the event and it's part of your marketing, that's also enticing to get people to give. Um, and the last thing that I want to touch on is um, on how to pull at those heartstrings. So let's say your event, you watch that video at the end and it really touches your heartstrings. Then you make that strong ask and then with all due respect, shut up. Don't say anything after that. Let people feel the moment and then close your event, you know, or do do what you need to do, but don't stay up there and keep talking because they've felt it. You've made the ask. Now let them give. And I think asking for money is scary sometimes. And so we keep talking, <laughs> but just let them be in that moment. And I think that's where you're going to find a lot of success and a lot of um, donations given during that time. Yeah. And I think the last one of strategies to implement for your event really maximize funds. I would, I come from a production background more than a nonprofit one, but thinking about keeping it entertaining. And like we said, you know, Mary said, keep it concise, but I think you can keep it concise while adding some entertainment values because you are pulling on those heartstrings. You are, you, you are asking, but if your whole event program is just like an ask and ask and ask a pull on a heartstrings and ask, you're mm-hmm. going to burn, like people will tune you out. Um, and so I think thinking through like, where are those moments, not necessarily of levity, maybe it's, but, but things that tie into your why that could be seen more as a little bit of an entertainment value, whether it's a performance or a dance or a something that like adds to it, um, that I think will directly, you might say wouldn't raise you more money, but I think it really does because it gives your donors a break. And like Mary saying to, to, you know, end your video. And then maybe you have a musical performance that is very, that's on theme and heartfelt and, you know, it's a strings or something, an orchestra or chestral performance or something like that's, you know, that would still do what you're accomplishing without you asking for more money. But the big misses I've seen before with clients is if you walk away feeling like all they did was ask you for money seven different ways, and that's the only thing you're taking away, you know, you're missing the mark and you might need to figure out a better balance of that ask and the education or the celebration or whatever else that is, at, you know, happening at your fundraiser. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Thank you. That's a fabulous point. I'm glad we didn't forget about that. So thank you. Yeah. And then this one, Mary, I'm going to I'm so excited about this last one. I'm going to ask you about it. Are fundraising events the best way to raise money? <laughs> OK, so this is a controversial question. I, I feel like it is, at least. Um, I've asked myself this many times and I've heard others in the fundraising community asking this as well. So I wish I could tell you that I have like these deep thoughts about it, but I I really don't. I don't think that there is an end all be all. I don't think that there's a right answer to it, but I think it comes down to what works for your organization. Um, Maybe your organization doesn't have a lot of people who would come to an event, but you have some major gift officers that are just rocking it and they're bringing in the donations that way. And that's what's going to work for your organization. Um, So it just comes down to your organization, what works for you, your donors, your audience, you know, what's best. So just continue doing your best to, to serve your mission and serve your local communities as well. So I wish I got, I, you know, Logan, I could get deeper into it, but I think it really just depends and I don't want anyone to be influenced um, based on what they they hear about that, because it, it's it's up to you. Yeah, I think yeah. Going back to it, there, you know, fundraising can look many different ways. Um, there's not one way to do it right, and you're the only one who's really going to understand your audience. And if you don't, maybe that's when you need to engage with someone who helps specialize in nonprofit fundraising events, like Mary here, um, or somebody else who just can help guide you through those questions. And I think you're so right of. If you know your who, you're going to figure it out. But it also, to me, comes back to, again, logistic brain. Like, 
your post-event report, if you do a fundraising event, make sure you write something down of what happened after the fact. And whether it's just keeping a track of the ROI, keeping track of anecdotal data, screenshots of something, whatever it is, but have a have some document because also another thing I see with um, nonprofits is sometimes if they're fun if they're volunteer run or they just have you know different people doing different events, it's helpful to have somewhere like a master like post mortem that kind of tells you all the things that happened. Because I, I always say when I get brought in by a nonprofit to help run an event, the first thing I look for is the data and information of what happened last year, and if it's something they've done more than once, what happened the year before that too. So. I think you can also help answer that question for yourself of are fundraising events the best way to raise money for your organization, but you really can only do that by knowing and having some of that data if you have tried events before, or if you're someone who's never even tried an event, you know, start going to ones and seeing, hey, would this resonate with who you're, you're targeting with your organization? Yeah, absolutely. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So if you have thoughts on if fundraisers are the best way to raise money, send us an email. Our email will be in the show notes, but it's bettereventspod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about that and any future topic suggestions that you have as well. Yeah. And I think we, before we before we wrap up, I do know we can kind of sh- shout out a couple of our favorite virtual event platform fundraising platforms right now. It is something that is constantly changing. So at the time of this recording, I would say just a couple that stop that come to my mind are um, Octria and Pledgling. Octria, I think, is a great it's got a set fee for the for your fundraiser. And so it doesn't nickel and dime you on some of the costs, depending on what you're raising. Pledgling, I think is super cool. If you have a very like mobile friendly donor base, doesn't work really if you're going for offline donations, but they have a really cool overlay that works with Zoom that will show your progress with your fundraiser and live time show you if people donate or not. And so that's a super easy way to get a visual of how much you're raising onto your live stream. Mary, what are some of your favorite virtual event uh, fundraising platforms? Yes, I like One Cause. It's not as affordable, um, but it's very robust. And so that is a good one. Um, if you're going to be doing multiple events every year, I think that would be worth it. Um, Greater Giving is good with their recent update that they did. I think it was in November of 2020 with their new engagement center. So I really enjoy that as well. Once again, it's a little um, more pricey, but then there's things um there's so really there are so many out there and I'm sure that they will serve you well. Another one that I like, um, which is very affordable, I would say, is charity auctions today for an online silent auction. It just depends. Um, feel free to reach out though if you ever want recommendations. It's like Logan said, it's always changing. So we're happy to help. Yeah. Well, Mary, you want to kind of wrap us up with what what were our key takeaways from everything we've talked about today when it comes to fundraising for nonprofit events? Yeah, well, we've talked about lots of goodies today um, and the basic strategies to utilize when planning your fundraising events, Um, everything from how to get started planning your fundraiser, what kind of fundraisers to do, strategies to implement during or before your event to maximize your success, and then also if fundraising events are the best way to raise money. I'm going to jump in with our bonus tip before we we cut it off. Um, this bonus tip for, for this week's episode is related to what we were just talking about when it comes to fundraising platforms. And again, Logistics Brain Logan here talking. Uh, it's all about the fees when it comes to fundraising platforms. So we mentioned a couple of our favorites earlier, but really do your homework when you're, when you're looking at a virtual fundraising platform and know ahead of time what fees you're going to be charged. Some, fee, some platforms, it's a flat rate fee and they don't care how many donors you have or how much money you raise. Others, it's a percentage of the funds raised. Others, it's sometimes calculated based on the number of donors you have. 
Uh, there's also credit card fees associated. Usually that's separate from a platform fee. And then there's also for a lot of these that have that online component. And I noticed it in person. There was an additional cost for having someone associated with the platform to be at your physical event and help run that technology. And the same thing speaks for virtual fundraisers. It's usually an added cost for having someone from the platform to do it. Mary and I can speak from experience. Sometimes it's helpful to have someone from the platform be that person, but other times you could train someone on your team or your event staff could handle doing it on their own. It's just, it's up to you and up to kind of whatever budget. But I have seen those additional costs be anywhere of upwards to like $1,500 a day to have one person help you. So that's our bonus tip. Think about your fundraising platform fees that I'll save you a lot more, a lot of time down the road and hopefully some money. But that's all we have for you guys this week. Uh, thanks for listening. And you can find us at our um, Better Events Pod Instagram and our email linked below that Mary referenced. And we'll be back talking with you again, talking about better events, how we all believe we can host, attend, and create better and more fun events. We'll see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.